Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafal Matuszewski, and I have another badass guest for you guys. His name is Mark Fisher. Say hello. Hello. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. This is, uh, a, uh, at the time of this recording, this is the day after Thanksgiving here in the States, so it's a, a calm, flexible day for me, which doesn't happen a lot. So you're like in a carb coma right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I somehow, I had a, a very rare Thanksgiving yesterday where I didn't really overindulge. So I have to say, I don't, I don't feel too bad. So oh, that's pretty Not good. That I, yeah, which, and I'm, I didn't plan to do that. I have no problem with overindulging, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just I would totally see it fits. Yeah, I would totally eat way too much like pumpkin pie and any kind of dessert. <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, I, I weirdly like uh, I just don't enjoy the feeling of actually being in physical pain, and I definitely do it right. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. that Louis C.K. skit, you know, like where you don't eat until you're full, you eat until you hate yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have been known to do that. But for whatever reason, yesterday I was just like, ah, I just don't want to be all gaseous. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right, so for the audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do, how you got into the industry, and why does a unicorn and ninja have anything to do with you? Yeah, so the uh, the kind of big picture is um, I own uh, two facilities in New York City called Mark Fisher Fitness that are very unconventional. Uh, you might call them gyms. We actually don't use the term gym because uh, our clients are not always gym people. So our, our tagline is ridiculous human serious fitness. And basically we train people that hate gyms. So we don't we don't call it a gym. We we call our clients ninjas. So we call our homes the enchanted ninja clubhouse of glory and dreams. Nice. And uh, you know, our mascot is the unicorn and it's a really eccentric looking space and we uh, have a number of eccentric people that give fitness and as per the tagline, we are very serious about rigorous training and nutrition and behavior change best practices. We just delivered a chocolate sauce of madness. We're just like very unconventional humans. And because so many of our clients don't like gyms slash fear gyms slash hate gyms, we've seemed to have really kind of struck a nerve and provided a space for a lot of people that know that they need fitness, but just aren't, don't feel comfortable in traditional uh, fitness solutions. Awesome. So how did you kind of get into the industry? Like, how did it all start for you? Yeah, for me, I was definitely like, you know, you have these sort of cliche entrances into the industry. You have oftentimes you'll have people that, you know, maybe come from sports. And, in, and a lot of my pals in the industry, a lot of people I'm close with, that was their entryway because oftentimes there are people that are strength coaches that wound up getting into personal training. And I actually don't really weirdly follow sports at all. Like I know what sports are. And I certainly, I study a lot of strength coaches because they do a lot of worthwhile things that influence the way I approach training. But my own journey into it was definitely the classic, like 1950s Charles Atlas, like skinny guy getting sand kicked in his face by the tough dude at the beach. And he was hoping the chick was going to talk to him. So that was totally how I started training was like many people that are our clientele out of, you know, frankly, my own self-loathing and my own desire to have some more, more powerful feeling of self-worth if I could just fix this thing that was completely unacceptable about myself. Now, long story short, those of us that have been in the industry for a while knows how that that's a very common way to begin one's journey, but not the most successful way if one's looking for long-term sort of sustainable beha uh, behavior change. 
So although that's kind of how I got into it, I had a long extended period of getting deeper and deeper into training. And like many people, when I first started working out, I saw some results. I was very excited about that. And I got deeper and deeper into training. And somehow I started slowly liking it. And I'm a very enthusiastic person. And I'm one of those people who's really crazy in that when I'm really into something, I am into it. And I got deep, 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 deep into training. And and concurrently, living in your city, I was making my living as an actor as well as you know, cater waiter, whatever else I was doing to pay the bills. And I had this really robust and vibrant community of people that also were, you know, most in their twenties and thirties that want to look good both for their career. Many were actively single and dating. They want to look good for that. And I took a lot of joy in sharing what I was learning about training and nutrition with that particular community. And because this was not a traditional fitness community and they knew me as a person, I discovered it was this outlet where I could actually be very creative and share this information that I was super into, but often was like painfully boring and not particularly interesting and meet my community where they were at in a way that they would understand it, find it fun and accessible. And that's basically how Mark Fisher Fitness kind of came to be. And it was definitely a long process. It was many years of me, I think, slowly getting more and more (laughs) honoring my authentic weirdness because I was a pretty like normal person trainer when I first started, which is not wrong to be there. Most people are in fact normal. That's why that word is that word. Uh, I am not the most normal person. And it took me a while, I think, to really get comfortable with like being my full self in that space, particularly because at that time when I was really coming up and sort of figuring out how I wanted to approach this, I, there was really like not a lot of people I could model and be like, oh, that person's really eccentric. The fitness industry is a, as a rule you tend to get a lot of very left brain personalities and people that are a little more data driven, that are a little more, um, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but a little bit more staid, right? And I think mm-hmm. if you look historically what happened in the industry, I think there was this great rush towards this desire for us to be perceived as professionals, really in the aughts, because as recently as the early, as the early aughts, the early 2000s, certainly the 90s, it wasn't considered a respectable thing to do. Right. If you were the personal trainer in like a sitcom or a movie, like your mom is not stoked that you're becoming a personal trainer in the nineties. The personal trainer was the bodybuilder who was wearing the like big pants and like eating chicken breast out of a Tupperware and all that stuff. So I think what happened was we saw this period where the industry understandably wanted to legitimize itself. And then we went through a period where everyone was now wearing like khakis and like a button down shirt and using a clipboard, which again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But this, I think rush to professionalism maybe took away a little bit more of the fun that I think is useful and certainly something that we have found to be important. I think not just for our success, but I would maintain for our clients like long-term health and well-being. because if you don't like what you're doing, if it's super boring, it's going to be hard to stick with it. Oh, definitely. Did you ever like start in like a big box gym or did you just kind of go on your own and start your business right away? I did. I did pay my dues. I did pay my dues, which most people do. And I think I still maintain, you know, people often ask me how I get started in the industry. And to this day, I still maintain most people benefit from taking some time in a big box gym. I don't know that you necessarily need to do it, but it is a way to get quickly up to speed in what industry you're in and what's kind of going on. So I started at a place in New York City called New York Sports Club. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't there super long. I was there maybe like eight months, nine months. I was there long enough. <laughs> You'd be like, this is not the appropriate fit. And to be honest, it, it, it wasn't that it was really that bad. It was just that 
you know, the things about the way the organization were run that weren't really like fit for me. And, you know, and I, I look back on the time fondly in a lot of ways because there were a lot of things that I, I learned there. That was really the place I, for me, also broke out of my previous mode because until I went and got a job at a big box gym, I was Mr. Muscle Magazine. So my, although I had a somewhat encyclopedic knowledge of everything I had read up to that point, what I had read consisted almost exclusively of muscle and fitness and flex and and I I read the weird ones right like because you know if you're like for those of you listening or or maybe I'm not sure your background but if you guys via the muscle magazines you know like at first it's muscle and fitness and then it's flex and then you're reading like muscle mag and iron man and then you're reading the hard stuff and muscular development which is super hilarious because if you look at a picture of me i'm like you know a buck 75 soaking wet <laughs> like i'm not a dude anybody's like oh that guy's a bodybuilder he's a rib cage of an eight-year-old girl um so <laughs> you know so but nonetheless that was like how i got in the industry and one advantage i had i think starting becoming a trainer relatively later is i was old enough that i had and had been kicked around by life a little bit that there was an inherent interest that I think has often served me in life where I knew that I really didn't know what I was doing. And then I found essentially T nation, which is a website that I'm sure you probably heard of. And that was sort of my introduction to the world of strength coaches and quote unquote functional training and just, uh, uh you know, the evidence-based world, all of which I've, I've found great value in over the past, gosh, I guess it's like 10 years now, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like I used to work in a big box gym too. And that was the same thing. Like every other trainer there was training bodybuilding and everybody who walked through the door just assumed that that's what you had to do. And again, like yeah. when I started, I think I weighed, like I still weigh the same, like 155 at 5'8", and no one wanted to train with me until yeah, I started reading up more on like the functional training and then people kind of noticed like, hey, that's kind of different and people kind of attracted to that. That's why sure. I don't really like the big box gym model because they kind of almost like pigeonhole you that this is the only thing you can do. And the same thing, like I left probably after a year because I was like, this is not my thing. And that's where I got introduced into kind of like a smaller gym, more private setting. Like you're kind of free to kind of do your own thing. And that's where I think my career and probably yours too kind of just skyrocketed where you could have free reign and kind of create your community and culture of new clients. Yeah. And I, I certainly, you know, and to, to the, the credit of the previous model I was under, I still basically could do whatever I wanted. I mean, there were certain constraints that I had. So for me, you know, I have to say, I, w I wonder in retrospect, I often play the game of had I had a better time working there because a lot of why I left with was the classic employee labor challenges of like, Oh, if you kept messing up my paycheck and, there were all sorts of those kinds of things that I was just like, okay, this is for the birds. This is not for me where it's interesting because I often wonder if they had treated me very well. I often wonder how long I would have stayed because I, one of my challenges of life is I certainly am someone who can be loyal, which is both my strength and a weakness. And in fact, if I'd had a really visionary manager person, I probably could have stayed around there forever, forever, which isn't to say that I, again, like really enjoy personally the people I worked for. But just that there were some, some there were some challenges with the organization. Yeah, yeah. That led me to run away and do my own thing. So when you uh, left and started Mark Fisher Fitness, what was kind of like your driving force or idea of structuring this idea and community of unicorns and ninjas? Yeah, I don't know. I wish there was something I could tell you. It was like, oh well, I had this strategic plan. Um, and in fact, I mean, the first like the the. For a long time after I left my job at the Big Box Gym, 
sort of by necessity, I was kind of doing my own thing and on my own for several years there. Mm-hmm. And it was great because I was still at that p- point primarily an actor. So this was primarily something I was doing on the side. But I would note that oftentimes, particularly in New York City, you have people that are actors that like kind of train on the side and you have trainers that like kind of act on the side. Yeah. And I really prided myself as someone who really legitimately did both. I was clearly prioritizing pursuing acting professionally. But part of the reason why ultimately I had to get honest with myself and leave the industry is because I would find myself getting audition material for a network pilot and – I would find myself getting frustrated because I just got like, I don't know, single leg solution from Mike Roberts here. Like, Oh no, there's yeah. a, there's a new Nick Temenel product out. I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to work on my acting stuff. And, uh, it took a couple years before that dissonance really registered. And I was like, okay, let's get honest about what you really want to do with your time. Uh, sort of classic Dan John ism, right? Keep the goal, the goal, are your behaviors in fact matching your goal. And for me, it became clear that my goals had shifted even though I wasn't, I think completely conscious to that. Okay. So I think when Mark Fisher Fitness kind of became a thing, really what happened was I was the guy also who refused to do any one-on-one training or anything besides one-on-one because for me, I was like very serious about I was a program design nerd and I was doing lots of assessment types of things, which I think are still awesome. And, and I think I, it's so important that I had that period in my career. But once I started doing group stuff, it was immediately apparent to me that there was a different ineffable quality when you have multiple people working out together. And as reluctant as I was to leave the level of coaching that one can do, admittedly, uniquely when you're doing one-on-one, it also became apparent very quickly that you're not really losing that epic of a percentage. As long as you're running around and coaching your ass off, you can coach more than one person at a time. And that ultimately, the the cost-benefit really works out really well because the benefit you get in the electricity and the energy of people working together and connecting in a way that's bigger than just you and your client, I think is really transformative. And I think we've seen that obviously consistently across the industry at large. And I would note that any serious look into social science literature, behavioral change, we know it is very hard to change behaviors outside the context of environment. And our environment is also the people that we spend our time with. Oh, of course. Like the moment I switched to semi-private training, I like Notice a big shift in how people reacted. And it went from like, you know, someone being really, really quiet and didn't really talk much. And then you add two more people with them. And out of nowhere, after a couple of weeks, they start becoming friends. They're like, all right, I'll see you next week when we come back on Monday. Yeah. And you create like that. That's kind of like the big thing nowadays in our industry is the building a giant community. And I just absolutely love it. It's true. It's really true. And I think. And I think, again, this is no doubt, you know, and I don't want to make uh, assumptions about, you know, outside of my particular world I know very well, which is like New York City, which is a very specific sliver of Western society. But I would maintain that there is a lot of otherness that is very powerful for a lot of people in our community. Many of us, I think, grew up, we always like joke slash not joke at all <laughs> that we're all like the Isle of Misfit Toys and that, you know, among the ninja community, some wound up, in fact, being very successful and sociable and even quite attractive. But most of us know what it was like to have at least several moments in our middle school experience where we had our lunch tray and we looked out on the vast cafeteria and we didn't really know where to sit. And some of us went so far as to go eat alone in a bathroom stall by ourselves. And I think that feeling of isolation and otherness, 
you know, again, I can't speak to other people. I, I know it's something that, you know, is still like this constant like presence for me in many ways. And I think that in New York City, weirdly enough, I think is a city as densely populated as, where, as we are. It is very, very easy to feel isolated here. So anything that allows people to meaningfully connect and actually talk about the stuff that matters to people who care, pursue similar goals with like-minded people that share your values, I think it's a really beautiful and powerful thing. And I think as a super nerd, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, self-determination theory. I'm a huge fan of all the work done at Haventry.com with my buddy, uh, Coach Steve Ledbetter. And one of the things we see when you look at this sort of theory of human motivation called self-determination theory, there's essentially three prongs of it. And one of those prongs is belonging and community. And I would maintain that I can certainly say in my experience, it does feel like this innate core psychological need that people have to get somewhere. And in a city like New York, where there are many immigrants in New York, right? New York is not a lot of people have an existing community when we come here. And certainly we come here, most New Yorkers are pursuing a thing professionally, and that's all well and good. And we certainly can develop found communities often through our professional pursuits. But to have a found community that is based around fitness, particularly when it really it's more broadly, how do I become a better person? How do I, how do I live a better life? I think that's a really beautiful, beautiful thing. Oh, definitely. So would you say that having a strong community in your gym is kind of vital to a regular person's success on weight loss or strength or anything like that? Yeah, I, I really do. I'm, I'm just convinced more and more. And, and again, here's the thing. I'm also, I don't, you know, I, I think it's appropriate to think we all know it's intuitive and I'll, I'll qualify by saying, of course, there are no absolutes, right? There are many mm-hmm. people that are completely able to just pick up a book, read the book, analyze all the things properly, do what the book says, go out and just kick ass because they decide if they want to get jacked or they want whatever this thing is. And I want to make room and space for that personality style and that journey because I think that totally happens too. But again, not my first rodeo, having been playing these reindeer games a long time and having a, a pretty robust data set of at least anecdotal adventures at the MFF community. I do think at this point, it is far, far easier for people to achieve success by finding some sort of community. And particularly when you're looking at people that have struggled to do it consistently, because the the fact of the matter is, if someone is struggling to maintain consistently sustainable behaviors and move towards their goals, that's hard in, in the best case scenarios. And if someone is still looking for help with that, it stands to reason they're not one of those people <laughs> that can just pick up the book and go do the thing by themselves. So I would say for anybody listening who's struggling with stuff, finding some sort of community, I do think it's going to be the secret sauce. What do you think is like one of the major things that are holding people back from kind of getting over that hedge and finally like, Oh, I get it now. I know what I need to do and just go from there. Yeah, I think it's, of course, you know, a lot of things, it's probably multifactorial. I mean, certainly, you know, you do occasionally have people where the issue genuinely is the knowledge gap, mm-hmm. right? There are people that genuinely actually just don't know what to do, or they've gotten not particularly useful information. And, and that I think occasionally is the case. I think more often than not, the type of work that I do, and I imagine you do as well, because if we're, you know, we're trainers, so like we kind of do know what to do, right? We can tell you what to do, but it's a lot more complicated than simply being like, go do this thing. Here's this thing, go and do it. And I think that when we're working with people and the knowledge gap is taken care of, there's a behavior gap challenge. And again, to my mind, 
it's hard to think of like this is the number one biggest issue, but uh, several that I would point out is I think for one would be doing things that you actually hate right? Doing things that aren't fun. I think nutrition is kind of the same way when you're trying to build your diet around the things you think you should eat instead of healthful foods that you want to eat. It's very hard to do that sustainably, right? I think trying to do it alone is another challenge that a lot of people run into when you're doing it outside the context of a community. I think the psychological perfectionism that most humans suffer to some extent means many people fall into an all or nothing sinking cycle, right? Where they struggle to have incrementalism. And you see, I think as part of the advantage, uh, one of the things that I think habitry and precision nutrition and these more, what I would say is more progressive approaches, behavior change have really got right is what we've seen is, and again, there's some exceptions, but unless you have the context of some like amazing, powerful community or some, either you move somewhere or you have some sort of major life traumatic event, most people need to move a little bit more incrementally than is intuitive. So most people come in January, we're not that far away, a few weeks are going to try to completely overhaul their life and they might be able to do it for a few weeks, but they're going to find that they're not able to do it at the level that they think maybe they need to. And if there's any cracks in the armor, they're going to stop. So this is a common thing we see all the time because people, and again, it's totally normal. There's nothing wrong with it. Just the way most people are wired where, you know, I say it's like people see, like they, they get back to their car and like, Oh, there's a slight scratch inside of my car. Fuck this car. And they get out a <laughs> crowbar and they just start beating the car. You know, yeah. it's like, well, we could have just left the crack. That could have been a thing we could have done. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's, it's just human nature. And, and I have found, you know, one of the things that we've tried to really do is just kind of get in front of all of the various like, challenges they're going to have and just like normalize, normalize, normalize. So much of what coaching is, is just letting people know that like, yep, you're, you're perfectly normal. Right. And those are all like, you know, the major or, or like some of the major ones. The last one I would add, and we could probably like keep going here forever is just that your body is designed perfectly for a world that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. So your brain isn't really designed for these things like health and fitness that have these very delayed feedback loops, these long cycles where, you know, if someone is looking to make some sort of fitness change, sometimes you have to like do stuff for a while to sort of really see results. It's one of the the biggest challenges why it requires so much a sales job when one is doing these like longer, steadier, slower behavior change approaches is because if someone's like ready to lose 10 pounds right now. And, you know, we're going to ask them like, okay, you know, would, and again, this is best practice and this is really the appropriate approach for many people, particularly if they're a high anxiety personality. If you're like, okay, I understand you want to lose 10 pounds in, in a month, Ms. Rossini. I know that that magazine said you could lose 25 pounds in a week based on that approach. And, you know, that's uh, you know interesting approach. What I want you to do is, you know, this week for the next two weeks, I want you to focus on just eating one piece of one serving of vegetable every day for the next two weeks. And that's tough, right? Because now we're like moving the goalposts so far. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that because I do think that's exactly what a lot of people need in a lot of circumstances. But, you know, I think we have to be honest with ourselves as fit pros. It's, it's, it's a tough thing because it's really, you have to kind of do a sales job on that because they're looking for some results. You know, my buddy Spencer Nadolsky quotes a lot of research about the value of like kind of like big wins up front, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit of agnostic in the sense that like, I'm, you know, I, I don't. I approach things the way I try to do my best to kind of meet people where we're at. Certainly we have our systems here at Mark Fisher Fitness. What I appreciate about Spencer sort of looking at a lot of that research around like, you know, so it's commonly thought, and, and this was something I would, you know, talk about a lot too. I definitely was that guy. I was like, oh, you don't want to lose weight too fast in the beginning. 
Um, and as a general thumb, right, you know, if you look in the research of like losing fat versus muscle, there is a tipping point of a percentage of body weight where it is probably less than desirable. But when you're dealing with, for instance, like obese populations, like everything kind of goes out the window and it's like not necessarily a bad thing if they lose more weight up front. It doesn't mean that they need to, but it doesn't mean that immediately they're going to be gaining all that weight back. And sometimes by shorting the feedback loop and getting to see some results, they begin to believe in the possibility that they can, in fact, achieve some success. And again, I would, I would uh, really recommend anyone interested in learning more about that. Spencer um, has a lot of really, a really wonderful expertise, particularly in dealing with obesity. And he's a medical doctor and a doctor who lifts, so I really always value his perspective. He's a very bright guy. Yeah, I've been following his stuff too, and I've been reaching out to get him on the show. And we've been probably emailing back and forth to get a day in time, probably the last three months. <laughs> but, um, okay. He's, I guess he's just a busy guy, and I think he also has a baby on the way, too. Which I totally get. On the way. Yeah. Uh, cool. But I was going to say, like, yeah, it. Yeah. I was going to say, it kind of blows my mind how the general population will want to put themselves through so much suffering of, like, a crash diet just to get, you know, like the 10 pounds off. And then after however long, 14, 30 days of doing something stupid, they go back right to where they were maybe gain a little bit more weight before than rather than just like maybe I should yeah eat more vegetables and increase my protein yeah it's it's you know it just I mean that is the it's weird when people don't approach that way in some ways right like that's the thing that's like most intuitive is like oh let me just do this drastic thing and get done with it and uh you know, it's it's tough, and and none of this is to say. So, the, you know, there's another whole element in here around emotional relationships with food. Now, as a general thumb, this tends to be again, as a rule, tends to be less an issue with men than with women. But there's another whole. Uh, you know, bucket of issues around self-sabotage and about like what food means for us and how we what how we use food in our life to address certain feelings. And you know, that's why you know it's an interesting trend we've seen in the industry where you know as recently as like even. I don't know, even like five, six years ago, you would go to the major events and it was all about the sets and reps and all about program design. And those things matter. Those definitely matter. But particularly when you're dealing with general population, quite frankly, complexity is the enemy of compliance very often. It's not that big a deal. When you're dealing with general population, it's like, <laughs> what do they like to do? Let's get Mrs. Rossini in here. Let's push something, pull something, do a quarter thing, maybe do something on one leg, right? Like very like Mike Boyle yeah. 101. Um so that is is relatively easy, right? As long as you're keeping, you know, and I think most can agree, right? Keep joints in like good positions, elevate their heart rate, have them, you know, have some reasonable program that slowly builds some modicum of strength that doesn't expose their tissues to too much like load and doesn't lead to injury. As long as you're keeping people safe and having fun, to my mind, most of the work that we now need to do in the industry is this sort of behavioral change, psychological piece. And that is incredibly hard, incredibly hard, but also I think very satisfying. And I think, um, yeah, I, I, you know, to my mind also, you know, endlessly interesting, right? Because like you never quite master that, right? Like I feel like, uh, you know, my friend Brett Bartholomew always has this post. I think it's so beautiful, uh, which he stole from someone cause there's no good quote that we haven't stolen from other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the quote was something like, we are all apprentices in a craft that we will never master. And I find that so like inspiring and like painful. Cause like, I want to be good at it. Uh, not that I think I'm bad at it, but you know, I, I'm very aware. I approach all this work with great humility, having done this for, for many, many years, you know, like, and knowing that, you know, 
every like humans are just like different, you know, there's different, uh, you know, the consistent strategies that tend to work most of the time, but, and then we're also learning stuff all the time about what leads to actual sustainable change. So I feel grateful to be an industry that I feel like is going to definitely keep me challenged forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So what it would be like your approach to say, if you got a brand new client to nutrition to kind of get them to their goal, like what would be the steps for you to get them to where they want to be? Yeah, you know, it would really depend on, I mean, right now, I oversee systems at Mark Fisher Fitness, right? So what I would tell you candidly is like when I do like coaching now, which I don't uh, actually, I've only recently started doing again, where at Mark Fisher Fitness, we have what we call the Sherpa check-ins, where people can sign up for like a 15-minute session. And then what's really fun for me is 15 minutes on the one hand isn't a lot of time, but I actually like most of the ninjas, like I kind of know, and not only do I, if I don't know them personally, I'm aware of the information we've already exposed them to because if they've done snatched, I know they've got a really good grounding in the basics so that I know the knowledge gap isn't the problem. And even if they haven't done our, our six week makeover program, which is snatched, that's what that is. If they, even if they don't have that intensive grounding in the basics of nutrition, anyone that joins Mark Fisher fitness gets an auto sequence of emails. It's just like very big picture about how we approach, uh, about how we approach nutrition. Mm-hmm. So when the person comes in, you know, it's going to be a lot of like, just like finding out kind of where they're at. Right. So for instance, you know, one of my clients recently, uh, one of my ninjas, she had, uh, she had a baby, <laughs> you know, and she was finding herself like getting frustrated. Cause she's like, man, I've had this baby. Like on the one hand, it's like not that long, but like, it's been a while. It's been like seven months. I've had this baby. And I just feel like I just can't get my stuff together. And I was like, I get it, dude. That makes perfect sense. Right. It'd be weird. Like this is a big thing. So that's the perfect example where not only does this person have buy-in for it, but where she's at, I was like, okay, we are fully doing, you know, the, like on a scale of one to 10, how likely is it, you know, like I would give her, you know, two or three habits to work on. She would choose which habit felt like she was interested in pursuing. I would confirm that she has a nine out of 10 chance of nailing that habit over the following two weeks and then send her on her merry way. Right. So that, that is like a, you know, a great approach when people have a lot going on, when they're like frustrated and they're really looking to layer something to very sustainable pattern. Right. On the other hand, sometimes I have someone come in and they're an actor and they don't have a lot of time and they've got to like achieve a certain amount of result very quickly for either a role that they're playing or sometimes even an upcoming audition. And that's going to be a very different conversation. Right. So that might be world where it's like, okay, here's what we're doing. Get out my fitness pal. You know, here's, you know, based on your current body fat percentage and your body weight, here's the macros we're going to go for. So, so I would say when I'm working with someone, I can't say I necessarily even have like a one size fits all approach. Um, but I would say as a general of Mark Fisher fitness, frankly, uh, it's really a little bit of, uh, an opportunity for us. Cause right now we don't have actually, a, I think like an awesome a la carte nutrition program. We have our snatch and six weeks makeover program, which is awesome, but it's also very intensive. So we don't really have, I think a good, and we also, like I said, we have that auto send email where we give them nutrition information, but I think there's a real opportunity for us to create some sort of a la carte membership. Cause the other thing I'll say is at the end of the day, you know, we are a fitness establishment and, and really like, you know, like a lot of us have the PN cert, but really like our competency is training, right? So I'm, we definitely have ninjas that just show up to do the training piece. Right. And that's cool. And I don't have a problem with that too. You know, obviously we're going to nudge them to eating better over time. But, you know, particularly if they come in, they don't have a huge fat loss goal, which at a place like Mark Fisher Fitness isn't that uncommon. Certainly most people in the general population, we all know everyone's looking to lose that last 10 pounds, right? Everyone's looking to lose a few pounds. But, you know, we also have plenty of people that come in and they're like, you know, not as interested um, 
in any sort of drastic overhaul because for the most part they're kind of happy where they're at. They just like hate working out <laughs> they yeah, want to yeah. find a place where they can do it, where they feel like they don't want to put a knife in their eye and end their life. <laughs> so how do you uh, keep people accountable? Like, is that part of that email system that, you know, when you send that first email that here's a couple of things you should focus on and then maybe the week after you kind of check in with them or do you do something else? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Again, it depends a little bit. I do think, frankly, it's one thing that's a little bit of, a, again, like an opportunity right now in the ninja community at large. So again, to give just a little bit more context, keep referencing this program. We have a six-week transformation program that is very successful and that is very immersive. And in the course of that program, not only are we going to fill every knowledge gap you ever need filled for you as a general population human being, but you're also going to get nutrition coaching where we're checking in on you every week. And we're taking, you know, biometric data like every two weeks to sort of kind of see where we're at and make sure we're progressing. So in that program, there's tons of accountability. It's not a cheap program. It's pretty expensive. So we're also getting tons of buy-in from people that are doing it. And that, you know, as you would imagine, is a very successful program. It goes really, really well. Long term right now, I think it is something we're missing a little bit. I think like we need to formalize some of the accountability around it. Again, it happens in form in the extent that that's one of the advantages of a community, right? A community I think provide this sort of like soft, gentle uh, accountability in that, you know, again, when you're spending time with certain people and they're like-minded people, you are able to slowly over time adopt a new self-narrative that allows you to slowly change your behaviors. And that's really, really awesome. But I think, frankly, it's something that we need to create um, a more institutional solution for. Because for the most part, if someone is not doing Snatched, you know, we're always there to answer emails, but for the most part, they're cool to do their own thing. And if they need our help, there's nothing that anyone on the team won't do to help them out with it. But right now there's no sort of like, Oh, sign up for this, you know, uh, nutrition accountability group and we'll do, you know, and it's so, <laughs> it's like, a, so frustrating. Cause I totally, I'm really good at this. I know exactly <laughs> what we could do, but, um, you know, just logistically, there's only so many hours in a day and we've been focusing, opening up our other facilities. So, but you're helping keep me accountable by asking me this question. Now I'm going to feel accountable. Like, I've got to do it. There you go. Yeah, because I do yeah. a transformation challenge every year, and it's eight weeks long. And it's, like, the same clients that I train year in, year out, and they sign up to it. And I think because it's almost like a supercharged community, because now there's, like, a time limit on it, and they're just more inclined to, like, participate in any kind of extra thing. Or, you know, yeah. the way that I set it up is, like, you have to take a photo um, every day to get points. And it was like either a meal or a workout. And if you did an extra workout, you got more points. So then people started, oh, fun. yeah, they started like doing a double workout per day. And I'm, I can't believe how many people walk their dogs. I'm pretty sure their dogs for eight weeks had like the most exercise in their life. Uh, and I did like, I even found out that people had dogs that I ever knew they were dog people. So it was kind of cool. But, um, uh, it's interesting, like you can train a client for years and then you come up with a challenge and out of nowhere that kind of like sparks that little edge for them to get yeah. into it and be successful. Because same thing, like I've done it now two years and the average like, well, I don't do weight loss. I just do by um, inches. Like we always do measurements every sure. two weeks. Sure. And uh, I think on average anywhere for like overall inches is from four to 12 inches per person. So you still see some sort of success in the eight weeks and like, yeah, it's just awesome to see people coming together and communicating over Facebook and in the gym saying like, Oh man, that finisher really sucked when I had to do it yesterday. And they're like, yeah. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> 
Absolutely, man. Yeah. You know, the thing, the thing that you're doing there that I, I really love that I think is, is so important for anyone listening to consider whether they be a fit pro or someone just looking to uh, achieve their own fitness goals is prioritizing behaviors and processes over outcomes, right? Because there's a lot of times where, you know, the, the reality is bodies are complex systems, motherfucker. You're, yeah. you're a complex organism body. So the reality is, you know, we don't have absolute control over what happens once we do these various behaviors be- between the food choices we make or, you know, even something like sleep to some extent, you can't really control sleeping. You can control being in bed a certain amount of time. And I think anytime you can really focus on process and on behaviors and inputs as opposed to outcomes or results, uh, and really put the emphasis on the former. I think it's a really, really powerful strategy. And I think transformation programs are super awesome. And I think they can go really off the rails. <laughs> they can go really off the rails. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, my whole life changed because of this, this transformation program, which now for us is in its six years, so we've had like over 3000 people do this. So at this wow. point, you know, I have, I've come to some conclusions about this. Right. And, you know, to your point, I think it'd be a really powerful thing for people to kickstart. And I always think about training. So, uh, Dan, John, who's a strength coach, I'm sure you've renting your travels, uh, is, is one of my mentors. And this paradigm he proposes, I think is so spot on is like you have park bench workouts and park bench periods and bus bench workouts and and bus bench periods. And for the ninjas, and I'm thinking almost about, uh, because this has been a topic of conversation, a lot of my Sherpa check-ins, or I'm like checking and seeing how my ninjas are doing. So I notice that it seems for most people, they kind of want to oscillate back and forth, and it's probably a healthy thing to do. And if someone, you know, so I think almost as in a vacuum, that in a given year, Someone wants to spend probably at least six weeks and probably no more than maybe 26 weeks in a bus bench workout regime of some kind, which is to say in a bus bench workout, you're going somewhere. You're training for a goal. You're, we launched actually one of our snatch programs is it doesn't even have anything to do with uh, fat loss. It's actually truly about uh, strength training goals and about getting stronger at four kettlebell lifts and actually using some of the, uh, the like my zone heart rate training to actually work truly on becoming strength, the conditioned monster beast. And I think it's keeps it fun and spicy to periodically have periods where you're going all in. And I think we also obviously always need to make space for the park bench workouts, right? Where you're not like particularly training for anything. You're just training because this is what you do and this is who you are. And, and I think that works really beautifully because life has seasons. And I think another challenge for many clients of all sorts is when they do find success for the first time and they have that first time or they go all in and they see these great results, they feel really awesome. There's often a sense of like, now what afterwards, right? And there's often a sense of, you know, afraid that they're going to lose it if they're not going as all in as they might during a transformation program of some kind. And, and so it's something we've worked really hard around here to really like normalize and again, kind of get in front of that conversation. So the people know, you know, your life is, is, your life is multifaceted and we love training and we love nutrition, but particularly when you're the general population, it's my goal for your life to not just be about fitness and nutrition. Maybe for periods like in the beginning, I think it's useful to invest time up front. Of course, I think a few times a year that can be really useful, but ultimately you're also going to have seasons of career and you're going to have seasons of baby, right? And you have baby season, baby season and fitness season. That's like kind of tough, right? I'm not like, you know, you should get in those workouts as 
as best you can, but like, I get it. Right. And I think letting people know that that that's okay. And that's normal makes for this really powerful setup where when you have people can oscillate back and forth based on what they want from their life in that moment. Um, I think that seems to be very useful. And I, I'm curious, I'm almost be curious to hear about your experience with that, because I know for me as a, as growing up, growing up, going into a trainee, even before I was training people, I kind of did the same thing, right? Where I would go, I'd have periods of like, I'd start for six weeks and train, then stop completely for three months. And then I trained for like eight weeks, like really, and now I knew a little bit more and I saw the results and stoked. And then I stopped for like four weeks and then I trained again. And then this time maybe I didn't stop altogether, but I was like kind of sandbagging. Right. And I think that, you know, all natural systems move cyclically, right? All organisms move in this sort of like hopefully upward progression. It's moving a spiral with two steps forward and one step back. Um, and that's why I think that in my dream world, you know, uh, what I really like about the way Mark Fisher fitness is currently set up is people have this opportunity to oscillate back and forth between like, you know, blast and cruise essentially. Yeah. Like for me personally, like when I first started in the industry, I was so addicted to exercise. It was to the point where I was seven days a week. And over the sure. years, yeah, like I slowly like realized, oh, maybe I should rest. Maybe I should take a week off. Maybe I wouldn't be right. so injured all the time, right? And right. now I think I found a good balance where, you know, I train four days a week. I try different programs, see what works, what doesn't. But I also kind of tell my clients that you kind of have to look at a full year and kind of be realistic and kind of pinpoint times during the year where you can go all in. And it's usually right. like three or four months throughout the whole year where you can completely devote your whole life to getting healthy. Whereas all of December, that's basically just Christmas parties and overeating and drinking summer of like June, July and August. There's no way. (laughs) And spring breaks in there, Thanksgiving birthday. So kind of pick when, you know, realistic goals can happen. And then when they kind of realize like, Oh, right. You're hitting the, you know, you're hitting it. Like I, I get that. So then their expectation of weight loss is not so high that, you know, they can change their whole life in 30 days and then be done. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, you know, it's very disappointing. I think when you discover that there is no fix, right. (laughs) You discover like you're never done. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting too the, the, what you just said there, I think, you know, interesting brings to mind, Another thing that I think is sometimes a little bit underappreciated, that there really is actually a skill set of planning that really is required that it, honestly, it's required for like, I would maintain success in probably most life fields. Um, and different people have more or lesser inclination to the types of organizational skills required. But it's like, if you can't, you know, plan out, excuse me, like one of our isms we always say around here, which is like true, you know, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Yeah. Right. And there is something to be said for like looking at your week in advance and putting a little thought before your day starts about what you're going to eat when, because if everything is like rift on the fly and you're just like always just like, you know, uh, in reactive mode, um, that's going to be challenged for your health and fitness. And I would maintain as someone who does a lot of like general, uh, time management, and personal productivity, coaching with entrepreneurs, that's, I would maintain for like, if you're always in reactive mode for most life goals that would present a problem. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, I don't like people always kind of look for that easy fix. And then I get clients all the time still now where they're like, Oh, have you heard of this diet or have you heard of this book? And I'm like, all right, no, but tell me. But I, now I've kind of come to a point where I ask them, okay, well, it's say a two week cleanse that you're going to do. 
what's your plan and step after the two weeks? Like, what what are you going to do after that? But I don't know, like, usually yeah. they don't uh, have an answer for me. They're just like, oh, this is going to, like, kickstart me in the right direction. And I, I as much as I want to say, like, to, to stop it, <laughs> they're already decided and they're going to go do it anyway. So the best thing that I totally, can do ma'am. is encourage them. Because, like, who knows, like, maybe them doing this cleanse will kind of like open their eyes or like, Oh, I put in all this hard work. I lost the weight. I want to continue keeping it off. So what's the next thing? And they might even come back to me and be like, Hey, I lost 10 pounds. What do I need to keep it off? Type of thing. Yeah. It reminds me that it's that great, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but that great variety article we write about, like, what do you do when your clients come in and like <laughs> say they're going to do crazy stuff? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because again, it fits in so much with, you know, for me, this sort of, uh, my kind of go-to, it's a self-determination theory, right? So I mentioned community before. One of the other pieces is autonomy, right? People have this intrinsic need to feel like they have choice. And one thing that can be tough sometimes, I think, as a fitness professional, and I'm, I've certainly been guilty of this in the past, is it can sometimes feel like we're adding value by being the expert and being like, no, you don't want to do that. And like, here's what the science says. And ultimately, it seems, again, if you're looking for sustainable change, it's very hard to do that when people feel like they're just kind of doing what they're being told and don't feel that like they have buy-in. And, you know, your your approach to that is really beautiful. It's very, you know, similar to what kind of Rory recommended, which is you just kind of meet them in unconditional positive regard, you know, like you, you know, encourage them like, wow, that's awesome. Like you're looking to learn about some stuff outside of our sessions. That's really great. You know, tell me what it is about this that appeals to you, you know? Because um, again, I think that's also a broader interpersonal thing of any time you're making the other person wrong. Uh, that's kind of going to stop meaningful dialogue and meaningful conversation. So I think being able to kind of hold space as a coach to let them try things. And certainly we want to be mindful if they're doing something that we really think is going to be dangerous. Obviously that's, you know, a different story, but for the most part, you know, letting them, you know, I always say like if a client comes in and they're like, you know, I really want to put peanut butter on my asshole. So I think <laughs> peanut butter on my asshole is the best way to lose weight. You know, I'm cool being like, that's, you know, that's amazing. I can, you know, that's awesome. You're really looking to put some peanut butter up your asshole and lose weight. So I can, you know, and I would share, I don't think it's inappropriate to share that I've not seen anecdotally the peanut butter up the asshole is useful for weight loss. And I, I, I can't necessarily think of a, a physiological mechanism that would lead to weight loss via peanut butter up your asshole. But if you want to try that, I think that let's go ahead. Can't hurt, right? Worst comes to worst. You could try it. We'll, we'll check in in two weeks and see how uh, the peanut butter up your asshole is working for you. And then we can adjust. Awesome. Also, it's like, you know, you see so many things change. I think that's another thing, too. The longer you're in the biz, the easier it gets to have that attitude because the more I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, everything keeps changing. You know, like, uh, you know, I try to, you know, in Silicon Valley, they talk about strong opinions loosely held. Um, I think it's a really beautiful uh, philosophy, right? I try to have like, you know, because I have, you know, again, I've been around, not my first rodeo. I definitely have, you know, strong opinions about some things. Um, but I try to be loosely held about that and and give people space to try things I disagree with without making them wrong, you know? Yeah. But it's hard, it's hard to do. It requires a certain amount of work on oneself and self-mastery to sort of like have that space, particularly when it's something that we have expertise in, right? Because it's hard not to be like, your liver is fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. How do you uh, kind of coach someone to make fitness a pri- to a priority? Because like, I'll get some clients where you know they sign up for one day a week. They kind of show up one week. The next week they don't. Maybe the next two weeks they don't, and then they come back and then they go. You know what? I don't think I have enough time to work out. And you're like, ah come on and you're like oh okay no no problem no worries like how do you kind of condone that 
you know, you kind of should make health and fitness a priority and event. Cause like when they find that kind of rhythm and build that habit of just going to the gym, it's going to stick with them forever. And then like I have clients where if I'm away at a conference or going on vacation, they're like, okay, when can I make up all my sessions? <laughs> like I would kind of want to know how to bridge that gap of getting that person that's kind of here and there kind of floating around to, I need to be here. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of the question, right? I think, uh, you know, it, it seems to me the first step is sort of like, you know, always kind of starting, you know, with myself and, and getting real down, like how I feel about that. And, you know, like, am I making that wrong or am I like, you know, being logical and realizing that ultimately like, well, of course they don't want to work out. It's, it's annoying. It's time consuming. It's physically uncomfortable. Of course they don't want to like eat, you know, healthful foods when we have an unprecedented access to abundance of super delicious foods that are not serving our fitness goals. So I think like that, you know, like getting like that self mastery piece is like a great kind of first step. And I think from there, you know, based on the client, based on where they're at and what's going on, I think that's where, you know, it's hard to actually even offer, I think like particularly useful questions outside the context of the rapport with that particular person and the context of that particular conversation. But it's not in like, you know, the, an initial like quote unquote sales conversation, right? And, you know, sales is a little bit of a scorched earth word because people do it wrong, but really it's influence, right? And, and all of us all day long are trying to influence um, other people, you know, to do stuff. And it seems to me clarity around the why, right? Which is something we talk a lot about Mark Fisher fitness and getting really, really, really clear around why it is that they want health and fitness in their life is a really important thing. And that can be approached a number of different ways. Um, there's a number of different like specific questions one can ask. And certainly, you know, when you, you talk about a structured conversation when you're trying to move someone to make some action towards, towards, uh, some behavior, again, it starts with them, you know, like, helping them get clear around what matters to them. Right. Because the reality is there's just going to be periods in our life where it's just like not a priority to them perhaps. And that's not necessarily wrong, but certainly when someone comes in, if they're in the gym in the first place, we can assume that at one point it was, or some part of them, it is a priority. And then I think it's, you know, leading them through those questions like, you know, uh, what, you know, what is the one, tell me one way, you know, what was the most powerful way your life would change if you're really on top of your health and fitness goals, right? So you have on one hand that like future pacing type of approach where you're helping them vision like what their life could be and how that's going to impact their life. You know, how, tell me about, you know, what type of impact that's going to have on your family or what type of impact this is going to have on your work, right? And we also have, you know, conversely, there's, I think the, the pain point agitation where you can sort of like, you know, lead them through, you know, tell me what type, what is going to cost you to not have health and fitness in your life? And I would make the note that the pain point agitation, while not wrong, uh, I, I, I think it's important to realize that is like garlic. And you want to be really careful using that seasoning because, again, something that seems to be pretty consistent is although that is useful to get the wheels turning because people tend to be clearer around what they don't want than what they do want, the reality is – People tend to not be able to do things consistently when they're moving away from something. And this is what Richard Boyatzis, who is a, uh, a professor of management at Case Western University, when he talks about coaching, talks about the ideal self, right? So it's not wrong to ask, and we know any student of marketing and sales knows, you know, that can be a useful tool. And I don't think that's even necessarily, I, I don't think that's at all even unethical or I wouldn't do it. So I think it's not inappropriate to sort of help them get clear to the consequences of their actions. But ultimately, I, I just want to be very clear, you only use that so that you can pivot towards what type of life that they want. 
And again, like I said, that's why it's, you know, really, it's hard to separate that from the context of the conversation, right? Because if you're like on the floor coaching someone and Mrs. Rossini is like, Hey, I just want to let you know, um, listen, I'm having a great time, but I'm gonna need to take a break here for a few months. You know, it's it can be a little bit weird to get like super coaching and be like, Mrs. Rossini, I want you to tell me what type of impact is it going to have on your family? It, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could do that, but like you also, there's like a social skill component, like, <laughs> like a, you know, a nuancing it. Um, but ultimately, you know, you want to have like that type of coaching conversation, kind of make the space for it. So, you know, based on, you know, the person, um, you know, I think probably the strategy there would be sort of see if you can find a time to chat a little bit more. Um, but uh, ultimately, yeah, you know, it's the one of the things is ultimately, you know, I, I really do believe this, like all humans are in charge of themselves. Right. And uh, I think the useful conversation comes from giving them the space that, you know, it's also not wrong for them to completely stop training and just go house a pizza right now. There's like absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and here's the way that we do things around here in our culture. Right. And that's another thing stolen directly from Steve Ledbetter that I didn't realize was so intrinsic to MFF until I saw him put that up as a slide. I basically like fell out of my chair. And one of the slides he says, when you're approaching this about how to like give people autonomy, but nudge them towards the correct behaviors is the two things that are always simultaneously true is that one, everything is optional. Everything here is optional. You can do whatever you want. And two, here's the way we do things around here. Everything is optional. And here's the way we do things around here. Here's the behaviors in this culture that move us towards the goals, right? Um, so that's, I guess, kind of a broad rambling uh, answer. <laughs> but, you know, that is sort of like the question, the question. Now, like, um, you're completely right because I was talking to uh, Krista Scott Dixon about how PN, oh, PN does their the coaching. Best. <laughs> yeah. And, She's such a hero. Oh, I know. I, lo- I absolutely love her. Um, she was saying, like, sometimes when clients are kind of – just kind of going through the motions, like she'll actually bring up, it's like, you know, lately you haven't been kind of on top of it. Like what's going on? Like, do we need to take a break from this? And she's like, it's completely fine. We can take a month off, two months, whatever you need to do. And then we can get right back on that horse. And I was like, holy crap. It's like the first time I've heard someone say to a client, like, maybe you should just take a break rather than, oh my God, I need this money. <laughs> I know, I know, man. And it's, you know, it's so funny too, because it's like, you know, and that's why like, you know, cause understand if I've said anything of value today, I want to really qualify it and just say it's because like the, of mentors in the world. And, you know, uh, I have yet, actually, I'm going to finally meet Krista and I are speaking at an event, um, later this year. So I'll finally get to meet her, I guess. But, uh, you know, people at that have just really, you know, it's so powerful. Right. And I feel like any value I, I have is conversations because of mentors like that, that have really like helped me approach all of this differently. You know, another, I think thing that, you know, interesting that I'm starting to kind of find a way around, how do I do this in the most useful way is even something as simple as checking in with a client that's gone a little bit AWOL, um, can very easily make that client feel like they're doing something wrong or they've let you down or spiral further. Right. So there's all these like counterintuitive, like psychological jujitsu things, um, that I think, uh, you know, and this is like, again, like high level, high level stuff. And again, I want to pat the back on the whole industry at large. Like again, five years ago, like there were very few of us, like it was Berardi probably was right. Because Berardi's a genius. He was like reading his books, you know, but for the most part, like we were like, look at your deadlift form, you know, like, you know, like should we pack the shoulders or not? Um, so anyway, I feel so, you know, it, it, listen, we're doing the hardest thing in the world, right? Like this is like the hardest thing, but it's also the most valuable thing because ultimately you also know at the end of the day, moving people to live a better life is about so much more than fitness and nutrition, right? And these like broader coaching skills, 
Uh, you know, obviously we want to stay in our particular realm and our expertise, but I think it's so beautiful now that we're, you know, we have people, you know, like Chris Scott Dixon leading the way for us. They're just doing this at such a high level. Cause yeah, like that's like, that's baller. That's like some high level stuff. Yeah. Like I always find it interesting when the people who do leave cause they need a break, most of the time they'll come back. Cause like, you know, when they go away for a month, that's what they usually say is like, I need time off for a month. I'll always set a reminder that like, Mo, oh, check in with this person to see what the, what's going on. They'll never email me right, right back right away. But you know, a couple of weeks down the road, they'll like, Oh, Hey, everything's good. And if you keep kind of like just checking in on with them, eventually they're like, you know what? I think I need to come back. And majority of those, all those clients that I've lost from taking a break, majority of them come back because they realize like, wow, what I was doing was working and now I feel even worse. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you ha- I think there's something you said for trusting the client, trusting the process. And again, like not presuming that we know what is best for that person, right? Because here's a really provocative thing. What if the best thing that person can do is stop training? Mm-hmm. You know, like what if there's like broader life stuff that's going on that's going to ultimately allow them to revisit in a very different mindset? Because, you know, again, there's only so many hours in the day. They're just addressing other stuff. And, you know, admittedly, that's, that's a pretty charitable story. We know more often now that's maybe not exactly what's happening. But I think creating space for that as a possibility is a really, really beautiful thing. And again, it allows the, the client to know that, you know, we have unconditional positive regard for them, right? We're just like, truly believe that they're the best person to make decisions for themselves and we're just here to guide them we're just here to guide them and support them and do the best we can and and be a resource for them and we like you know believe that you know they're going to be able to make decisions and they're an adult and and we're going to you know we're willing to ask the tough questions right we're willing to ask the questions to help them get clarity around how they really feel around stuff but ultimately you know they are in charge of their life as they should be and we are we're happy to help them that's why at mff we always refer to ourselves as sherpas Nice. Right. Because to me that, that feels like, you know, I'm a Sherpa, right? I'm not a guru. Like I'm, I, I have a, I have a, your pack and I'm holding your stuff and I know these mountainside roads really, really well. So if you want to know where to go for certain goals, like I'm, I'm pretty sure I know how to get you there, but ultimately like, you know, I'm, it's, this is your journey. Like we're here, this is your mountain and I'm just here to serve. Yeah. Like the more I learn in this industry, you're less of a trainer and more of like a psychologist and life coach. Yeah. You know, the coach, the coaching piece is, is big, man. You know, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, I think again, you're seeing more and more and certainly, you know, at Mark Fisher fitness, it's, you know, 95% of our results are because of that. 95% of our results are because we, and again, we're not perfect. We're like everywhere else. Like, you know, we're, none of us are like, you know, it's not a team of Buddhas. Like we still get frustrated. We still have moments of smallness. Sometimes we still want it more than them. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of the success we've had is because we've been so rigorous about studying uh, how to have coaching conversations. And there's a number of like kind of awesome modalities out there. Um, and again, I really credit Precision and you know my buddy Coach Steve Ledbetter is like two people just keep coming to mind. Is like you guys really are doing so much for our field right now. So what do you think will be kind of the future of our industry? Like say five or ten years from now, when it comes from a coaching standpoint, what are your predictions How about that? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I got nothing. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I do think we're going to see this trend continue, you know, yeah. and you're going to see the, you know, because it's, you know, the ideal world is like a, a properly functioning free market, which, you know, not, not always, but ideally, you know, people that are better and are getting better results and are good at what they're doing are going to have more success. And 
I think we're going to see more and more of an emphasis on this interpersonal stuff. You know, like a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in this conversation, because again, the reality is it's not that complicated, right? The actual like training nutrition piece for gen pop. And again, it's very different. And, and this is part of the thing that I think gets confusing for a lot of trainers and coaches is because a lot of our best trainers and coaches uh, are working with elite level athletes, right? Or they've worked to achieve like maximum aesthetic or performance results for themselves. And that stuff is awesome, but it's at, at moments, I think perhaps bias the conversation for the vast majority of the fitness industry that is not helping someone reach a 900 pound deadlift, that is not helping someone get down to 4% body fat, both of which are highly specialized goals in which the details really, really will matter. So my hope is we're going to keep seeing more and more of like this type of conversation and we'll keep seeing more and more uh, systems for integrating this. And I, and I think it's going to happen because there's so many people doing it right now, you know, at its best, the industry is this large Petri dish where we're all respectively trying all this different stuff in different communities. And it's not, you know, it's not a controlled experiments by any means, but you know, that's why like I'm so obsessed with uh, community in the fitness industry. Right. I'm obsessed with people like spending time talking with each other, learning each other's secrets, because I just believe that, you know, we all have things to contribute and learn and share with each other. Definitely. Uh, so now last question, because it's already been an hour. Holy crap. Um, where can people find you online? What's your social media? If you have any projects coming up and any kind of speaking engagements? Yes. Um, all kinds of things. So the easiest place to find me online is at markfisherhumanbeing.com. Um, I haven't released my 2017 speaking schedule, but I am uh, running around the world. I will be all <laughs> over next year. So I'll be in all sorts of places if you want to come see me live. Um, the place to find anything about the way, uh, if you're interested in this, uh, not just the behavior change approach to uh, training, but also like business, which is something I do a lot of coaching on. Businessforunicorns.com is the website for that. Uh, and we try to put out like some really great high value content there for how to develop the type of business that allows for these types of results for clients and that de delivers the lifestyle that, you know, one usually wants when they're trying to be an entrepreneur. Um, and we do a number of live events called inside the unicorn. We're doing one of match in Chicago in a month, but it's almost sold out. So, uh, wow. but we'll no doubt do more next year. And, uh, obviously markfisherfitness.com is the home of Mark Fisher fitness proper. Uh, and I can always be reached at Mark at markfisherfitness.com and at M Fisher fitness on Twitter, which I barely use, but I do use. Perfect. And you can find me on Facebook, but you'll have to, you'll have to follow me because I'm one of those douchebags that has the 5,000. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> follow me. Be my friend. Don't let Facebook tell us we can't be friends. Just <laughs> yeah. follow my ass and we'll talk and you'll comment and you'll put weird gifs and shit on my threads and I look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Dude, pleasure, man. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 24 with Mark Fisher. Again, if you want more info on Mark, link up all those websites that uh, he mentioned in the episode and you can get all his content on there. Now, for all those who are listening who haven't followed me on social media yet, make sure you do because I still uh, post a lot of blogs, uh, articles, videos, recipes, everything that you can think of that will basically help you um, see success in whatever your goal is, if it's rehab, if it's weight loss, muscle gain, whatever it may be, I post stuff on that. So if you can find me on Facebook, it's just my name. Rafael Matuszewski. Yes, I know I have a long last name and I'm sorry, 
but to spell it, it's M-A-T-U-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I, and I'll do it again, M-A-T-U-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Now, also follow me on Instagram, because I'm also on there, as Raf Matuszewski, all one word, and same thing for my Twitter, Raf Matuszewski, all one word, no fancy letters or special symbols or anything like that. So add me on there, and uh, until next time, we'll see you guys again.